everyone. Welcome to Adventures in Autism, episode 13. Is that lucky or unlucky? It's for you to decide. <laughs> um, I'm Megan Carranza. Thank you so much for coming to listen. Whether today is your first episode or you've been listening the whole time, welcome. Um, I am going to be riding solo <laughs> again today. Uh, I hope you guys are enjoying these solo episodes. The feedback I'm getting has been good, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue kind of throwing in a solo episode here and there because I said it before and it's true. I have a lot to say. <laughs> so... Today, I wanted to talk about something that has been coming up a lot, um, and that is sort of the the early days of an autism diagnosis, or even like the time leading up to an autism diagnosis, and just sort of navigating that whole time, that, that waiting period beforehand. Uh, what leads you to actually, you know, seek that diagnosis and then, you know, kind of, like I said, the early days and sort of what follows from there. Um, and I say that it's coming up a lot because the people, the the li- listeners who have contacted me, a lot of them are in that, that time period. They're either waiting for a diagnosis or they've just gotten a diagnosis and, that is a a scary place to be. I speak from experience. Um, both of those situations are scary. And I think that at that time, especially, you really could use some guidance. And I don't ever want to come across like I am, you know, an expert or like a know-it-all because <laughs> I'm not. I'm not either of those things. But I have, you know, a couple years of experience with this under my belt. And I know there are things looking back that I wish I knew then uh, that I know now, things that probably would have helped me. Um, and I also just, you know, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, So I just, I see things, I see things differently now than I did then. I'm I'm very I'm a very emotional person which I've talked about before in the podcast but um I think especially at that time emotions were running so high that it was hard sometimes to just kind of see clearly and really see the situation for what it was. So, if I can give a you know a little bit shed a little bit of light on that time for somebody listening, I am so happy to do that. Um, So I'm going to kind of go back and, like I said, sort of talk about what led us to really seeking that diagnosis because I've mentioned before, I mean, we didn't have like a ton of red flags, especially in the beginning, like when Logan was younger. Uh, It always just kind of came back to the speech issues, at least for us, for like Manny and I. We could kind of like I don't want to say turn a blind eye, but we could, we could sort of like reason our way out of some of the other behaviors, um, until it, it reached a certain point. Uh, and that was basically around the time after that Logan had started preschool and he was, uh, in the early childhood program 
within our district district. So again, here, you know, in Illinois, I think most places, once you age out of early intervention at age three, then you go ahead and do an evaluation with the district and they decide kind of, you know, obviously, first of all, if your child is even qualifying for the early childhood program, um, or, or not, <laughs> that's an option. Um, and then also like what placement, cause like Logan, the, the school that he went to, there was four preschool classrooms there and they kind of ranged from like, I don't want to say highest functioning to lowest functioning, but basically like, you know, the kids that needed the most help to the kids that were the most like typical quote unquote. Um, so I remember really like, I remember taking Logan to that evaluation and not really having a ton of difficulty. It seemed like he was pretty much on par with the other kids that were there. It was almost like being in a regular preschool classroom. There was just like several adults walking around and kind of observing and they would sort of step in and ask him to like do a puzzle or a matching game or something like that. And they would just kind of feed off of each child's sort of, you know, capability at that point. I mean, granted they're, you know, meeting these kids for like, I think the whole thing was probably a couple hours. So it's not like they had a a huge knowledge of, of these children, but based on the, you know, stack of paperwork that we as parents filled out and then just observing the kids within that classroom, they were able to kind of see, you know, where each child would fall. Um, I remember watching Logan when they did at the very end, so they got to play for a little while. And then at the end they did sort of like a circle time, um, which, you know, that's a really common part of, of a preschool class. And we were able to sit sort of on the sidelines and kind of watch this. Um, and it was like the cutest thing <laughs> to watch him like participating in, in this circle time. They did like a little pretend birthday party because, you know, that's something that happens a lot in classrooms. They want to see like how kids respond to all that. And they had like a little stuffed puppy dog that they were using and it was supposed to be like the puppy's birthday. And then each of the kids got like a little cup of water. And I mean, it was just, it was like precious for me watching, but I remember thinking like, Oh, I, I think that went like pretty good. There was a few things that he kind of struggled with. And I remember even like stepping in to, to tell, uh, one of the clinicians there cause she was asking him to do something I think it was a matching game, like matching colors. And, you know, he was so excited to like be in in a classroom and all these new toys. He was not very focused. So she was asking him to kind of complete this task and he was not doing it. I knew full well that he had all the capability to do that. So I kind of stepped in. I was like, you know, if we give him like a little bit more structure, I think he would be able to to do that. Um, and she did, she pulled out a chair. I can't remember the name of it now, but it was like a much more like structured chair. It had like an actual back on it with like padding and arms and you could like kind of scoot it underneath a table so that not that like it was super confining, but it was more of a confined space than like a typical school chair. And then when they did that, Logan was actually able to complete the matching game. Uh, so that was really great to see. Cause I was like, see, I knew, I knew he could do that. So fast forward to him being in preschool. And again, this was around the time when we had had our second child. Our daughter Liliana was born in March um, of that year. And it was 
around that time that we did start to see kind of an uptick in some of his behaviors at home, um, like the, the running around and not kind of be able to stop himself, the, the screaming again, always a happy scream. Um, there, there definitely was like some concerning behavior. So things that we were kind of like, Hmm, this seems new, but we were like, okay, well maybe, you know, there's a new baby at home. He's just doesn't know what's going on. So around that same time, I went to his preschool classroom to observe. I just kind of wanted to check it out after, you know, having a home with me for three years. I was mainly a stay-at-home mom in that time to having him, you know, be gone at preschool. It was a five-day week program, even for preschool. It was a half day, but still, it was really just jarring for me (laughs) to not, to not have him home with me. So I were asking like, can I just like come in and see how he's doing? And, and they were totally fine with that. So I came in one day and it was actually during circle time, like the start of circle time that I had gotten there. And I just kind of sat like in the back of the room. He didn't know that I was there and I was watching him and it was a pretty small classroom. I think there was maybe like eight kids at the most, like seven or eight kids. And there was a teacher and and two aides in there. And they were going through like a calendar and just, you know, like maybe singing a song, like kind of normal circle time activities at a preschool. And there was one activity they were doing with the kids where they had to go through who was there that day. So like each of the kids had a little like picture, like on a popsicle stick of themselves. And they would like stick it in a little pouch to show that they were there that day. And I remember watching like all the kids kind of, you know, the teacher would call them up and say like, Oh, so-and-so come up here. And they would just maybe need a little bit of help, but you know, they were, for the most part, they were able to complete that task. No problem. And then there was Logan, who, by the way, he was, he was sitting at circle time, but he was wearing like a compression vest, which for those who are not familiar, it's like a really tight fitting vest with Velcro that it's just kind of giving him that, that input, almost like a little bit of a hug. Um, and then he had like a, a weighted, like a, a beanbag kind of a sack across his lap, which again, just giving that input that giving him, you know, the, the beans that were in there, something to kind of play with. He was sitting on, you know, one of those like sit and move things where he was able to kind of roll around. And I remember that was the first time I, I had seen him in the classroom and I, I was a little bit, well, more than a little bit, I was surprised at, all the supports he was requiring at that time because it was the first time I'd seen it. And I didn't even realize, you know, that was, it was taking all these things to just get him to sit at circle time. And then it came his turn to, you know, put his, his little Logan popsicle stick in, in the little pocket pouch. And I mean, it was like pulling teeth to get him to go, to go up, to, to, to put his little name in the pouch. And I, I do remember sitting there thinking like, oh, wow. Like there's something bigger at play here. This is not just a speech issue. This is not just a speech delay. This is not, you know, just this global delay that we had kept hearing at that time. Um, and I, it wasn't like that was, 
hugely surprising to me because I had been, you know, rolling around the idea of autism in my head for probably a year at that point, at least. Um, I mean, I really, like I said, I, I do, I noticed there was issues around the time that he was one, but I don't think I, I really thought like, could this be more than just delays until he was probably closer to two, at least definitely 18 months. And then at three, when, when he started preschool, um, it was still unclear to me, but I remember just being in that classroom and seeing him with his peers who, you know, they were also special needs, if you will. They were maybe not necessarily autism, but, um, you know, different, different delays and ADHD or, you know, things, things like that. Um, but so it wasn't like he was in a classroom with, you know, all typical kids is what I'm trying to say. He was definitely, he was among his peers and he was still seemed like the one who needed the most help in that classroom. Uh, so that was, that was kind of a tough day for me. (laughs) I remember like getting in the car and calling my husband and telling him, you know, Logan did great. He, he really did good. And kind of telling him some of the supports that, that they were using. And I think he could tell that I was, um, just more nervous at that point than I had been, even though I was trying to be like, yeah, everything's great. (laughs) Um, and it was, I mean, he, he really did. He was not like acting out or like that, but it was just, you know, like I said, just getting him out of his chair, having him come up, you know, move, move his, his name into the pouch. It was like, he, he was like crawling to get, (laughs) to get up to the front. And it was like hand over hand to get his name in the pouch. Like it was just like everything required so much support. So that was definitely a big catalyst that day for me in what kind of spurred us to like really seek the diagnosis because up until then we kept hearing from people that we should wait until he was closer to like kindergarten age which is crazy to me now because like he just started kindergarten so I can't imagine if we were you know still in that waiting time so Manny and I were were on the same page with with wanting to get the diagnosis. Um, again, at, right right after that was when I had that parent teacher conference, and the speech therapist had said to me, oh, "Do you think he has autism?" And that was like, I mean, a, a huge. It it was it was really jarring to hear that from somebody else because nobody at that point had said that to me. Um, but it also was just confirming you know, these suspicions that I was having. So especially after that happened, it was kind of like, okay, we, we really need to do this. And so I remember, actually, I think I took Liliana, our daughter, to uh, a, a checkup. And that was when I had asked the pediatrician for like recommendations, referrals for a doctor, like a neurologist, or we actually took him to a developmental pediatrician who could actually do the diagnosis. Um, and that was when I learned that there was a very, very long wait (laughs) to get in with the developmental pediatrician, um, which seems like a common thread, especially here in the podcast, everyone I've spoken to, it seems like, I mean, there's been a few people who I think have gotten in a little bit quicker, but it does seem like there's a pretty standard wait time, of like six to eight months, some people even longer. 
which is crazy because it's like, again, you know, you've, you finally, you come to this conclusion, like, okay, there, there's something wrong here. Like, I want to know what's going on with my child so I can figure out the best way to help him or her. And now I just get to sit here and twiddle my thumbs <laughs> for months on end. So that was, that was a really tough time for sure. Um, because we didn't, we didn't actually get in with a dental developmental pediatrician until like almost a year after that. I mean, I think it was, it was definitely at least a full six months, but by the time I actually like, you know, went ahead and got the appointment scheduled, that was even probably a couple months after that. So, I mean, it was a long time. And like I said, there's been a lot of people who have reached out to me that are in that waiting period. And the, the only advice I have for you at that time is like, try to take care of yourself the best that you can. Um, if you have people that are willing to help you, that will help, you know, take a load off, take advantage of that. That's my advice. Anytime. (laughs) If people are willing to help, take the help. (laughs) I think a lot of times as moms and as parents, we feel like, you know, the weight of the world and we have to do everything and take care of our kids. And I mean, that's true. There, there are responsibility, but if, yeah, if you have people who, who love and care about you and want to help you, like, just drop the act and just give in, let them help you. Um, but other than that, I mean, yeah, that, that waiting time, it's, it's just kind of like grin and bear it, like get, get through it the best that you can try not to let your, you know, emotions run wild. Try not to let your imagination run wild because I think that is at least for me, definitely been a lesson to learn is that, the things, the monsters in your head are much scarier than the monsters in front of you. Um, once you can like really look at the situation for what it is, it's, I mean, it's still scary. It's still hard, but it's, it's not nearly as bad as we make it out to be because that, that's when things just sort of kind of go wild. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I wish I had better advice <laughs> to get through that time. The good thing is you'll probably be filling out a lot of paperwork and files and questionnaires. Um, and that will keep you very busy. <laughs> I remember like we got the appointment and then they, even though we had this wait time, they, they sent me over, it, it came in the mail. So it wasn't even like, here, we're going to send you this file for you to download. It came in the mail in a huge manila envelope for me to fill out this literal stack of paperwork. And it was like, I mean, you know, the run of the mill, like insurance and basic information, but then it was like tons and tons of questions about Logan starting from birth up until that present day. And it was like very detailed questions, not just like yes or no, but it was like, how does your child respond to, you know, different stimuli in that situation? And it was like, you really had to like detail your answers. So that stuff took me a really long time. <laughs> I would work on it like little bits here and there. And I honestly, I don't even know if I finished it. I think I finished it like maybe the week before our actual appointment. So again, that, that stuff will keep you busy. But I think just, you know, like I said, focus on taking care of yourself the best you can, taking care of your child, obviously the best that you can, especially at that time, 
because if you're waiting for the diagnosis, you're probably also waiting to get services. So just anything, anything and everything you can do to just sort of keep the situation as calm as possible for, for yourself, for your, your inner, you know, monologue going on that might be driving you crazy at that time. Just try to, to quiet that, um, and just look for support anywhere that you can. If you're listening to this podcast, then that's probably a good, a good place to start because everyone who has been on this show has pretty much said the same thing. So we're all, we're all in this together. Um, so I think getting into the actual like diagnosis, um, well, even I shouldn't say that before that there, there's definitely, there's the fears of that come up in that wait time. Um, and I know for me, there was definitely the guilt also that I was feeling, and that was kind of even before we we wanted to get Logan diagnosed. Like you do wonder, what could I have done differently? Like how how could I have made the situation better? And you have to let that go. And I could say that now because I, like I said, I can really see the situation for what it is. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is who my son is meant to be. And my job as his mom is to help him the best that I can and not carry around these feelings of guilt and what did I do wrong and, you know, what could I have done better? I remember having a conversation with Manny once and we were talking about our daughter um, and she was pretty, pretty little at the time. Uh, and we were just talking about, you know, what it, kind of life with two kids and sort of how that played out. And I had said something about Logan, you know, obviously at that time he still wasn't talking and I, I, I wasn't saying like, Oh, you know, maybe Liliana won't talk. I don't even remember the context of it. Um, or maybe I, I think I was saying something about how I was like really excited for her to start talking. And, and Manny said something like, well, you know, we're, we're going to do things differently with her. And, I just turned to him and I was like, do you still think that there was like something that we did? Like, do you still feel like this was, you know, caused by us? Um, and it really made me sad that he felt that way. Not, not just because like, you know, obviously I'm, I'm Logan's mom and I spend probably the most time with him. So I was kind of like, well, what could we have done? But I also, by that time, I had really come to the realization that, you know, what we were dealing with was not just, you know, something that we could do the speech therapy and do the OT. And he was going to just kind of miraculously recover one day. I knew that this was going to take some work and, what we were dealing with was a little more severe. Um, and I, and Manny kind of looked at me and he was like, well, no, but I just don't know. And I, I think he's, he's definitely where I'm at now with that. But, um, at that time he wasn't. And so, yeah, for anybody listening who may still have those feelings, you gotta let that go. <laughs> I know that sounds easier said than done, but you, you can't blame yourself 
and you have to just do do what's best for your child and let let go of that that guilt and let go of that worry of being judged I think that was something for a long time that I held on to I remember talking to a friend of mine before Logan was actually diagnosed and crying to her and just saying you know I don't want somebody to to judge him if he does have autism I don't want somebody to look at him and and write him off because of that diagnosis and she was so sweet understanding um and I feel completely different about it now. I I think that, you know, at the time, again, before you have that diagnosis or in those early days, like your emotions are just so high and there's so much unknown. Uh, and you do, you worry about that really stupid stuff because like now I can tell you wholeheartedly, I don't care <laughs> if somebody wants to judge me or, or judge Logan that is not somebody whose opinion I care about. I just don't. Um, and I know that's hard and some people don't have that, that same kind of school of thought. And if, if you are someone who worries about that, about the judgment, like I said, I, it's, it's easy for me now to just say, I don't care and just let it go and throw my hands up and that's it. If you haven't reached that point yet, I hope that you do because <laughs> it will set you free. And I think you will. I think that most most autism parents definitely do reach reach that point because you do start to realize like those people don't matter and their opinions don't matter and their judgments don't matter. And it might sting in the moment, but, you know, I, it really is one of those things where I'm just kind of like, well, I'm going to pray for you <laughs> because you you need it. <laughs> you need it probably more than I do. Um. So, okay. So now, you know, kind of working through all those emotions, we've gotten to the actual diagnosis day. We, we take Logan, like I said, to a developmental pediatrician. It was definitely a very heavy day. It felt very heavy leading up to it. The day itself for, for me and for Manny felt really heavy for Logan, it was like business as usual. <laughs> he was like, Oh, more people going to watch me play with toys. Cool. I don't care. Like he was just completely unfazed by all of that. I remember them saying that in, in the evaluation too, um, just commenting on his attitude and how he was so happy and sweet, which he is. Um, and we're so grateful and blessed for that. Um, I do remember thinking in that evaluation that he was like not performing well. <laughs> like I knew, I mean, not that I was, you know, <laughs> expecting him to pull these, you know, magical skills out, but I, I remember watching him that day and just feeling like, oh gosh, he's, he's not doing what they want him to do. <laughs> um, which was, which was a little, it was, it was not great, but I mean, it is what it is now. Um, and after a few hours that, you know, that time came where the doctor sat us down and, you know, said, I think Logan does have autism spectrum disorder. And I, I've said it before, but it was definitely a very emotional moment. I, I cry a lot and I definitely cried a lot then. And that entire day, I pretty much just cried. I remember I went home and my sister was there babysitting my daughter and I cried to her. And, um, we had a lot of close friends who 
and family who knew, you know, that we were going to the diagnosis that day. And I just felt spent. I just felt so spent that I, I, and I'm normally someone who talks a lot, which you probably have gathered from this podcast, (laughs) but I, I remember like my, my best friend, even I, I, she was like texting me and I said, Logan has autism. I don't know if I can talk about it anymore right now, but I'll call you later. Cause I just, I, I, yeah, I can't even explain just that feeling of, of just sadness that I, that I felt that day. And like I said, I was just, I was emotionally exhausted. And I remember talking to my dad like later in the day and him kind of asking me what had happened. Cause you know, obviously he knew what was going on. And, um, he, my, my dad is like very non-emotional <laughs> for as emotional as I am. Um, and I was just like, I, I wanted to keep it kind of short and sweet. And I'm like, dad, okay, here's the thing. I'm like, Logan has autism. You know, we, we knew this was coming and now it's here. And my dad was like, well, Meg, he's like, I, he's like, I just want you to remember that, you know, there, there's people with autism that they do amazing things and they lead amazing lives. And he's like, you know, this, he's like, I, I, I think he's going to be fine. <laughs> like very kind of nonchalant, which I actually needed at that point because it was like such a heavy day and such a a sad day. So I think that's important to note also that, you know, it, it really is okay to, to grieve that, to really let yourself feel all those emotions. I think it's important to do that because I, after that day, I did kind of stifle my emotions and I wanted to just stay positive at all costs and just move forward and focus on getting him the right therapy and figuring out everything with school and I, I mean, I, I grieved to a certain extent, but I didn't, I didn't fully let myself feel all those emotions. Um, and they ended up coming back, coming back later. And then I kind of had to deal, deal with all that. Um, so that's another really important thing though, too, is, you know, feel, let yourself grieve. Don't do what I did. (laughs) Like really just, if you need a, a, more than a day or a week or longer, like take it, just take it and do what you need to do again, like self-care. If people are willing to help you take the help, like go, you know, be by yourself, go like get a coffee, whatever it is that you need to do. Um, because you do, you need to take care of yourself, especially at a time like that. Um, but for me, it was really important to just kind of throw myself into figuring out all the therapy and what our next move was going to be. Um, and I was nervous about ABA, which was what was recommended to us from the, the doctor that diagnosed Logan, which I knew was coming. I knew that ABA was like the most kind of commonly prescri- recommended uh, therapy for kids with autism. And it really scared me because I know that ABA is a very like intensive kind of a program. And that's the whole thing about ABA is it's very like immersive um, because they kind of want to touch on all aspects of your life. And they sort of want to like bombard this, you know, child with therapy in order to sort of like change the course. 
Um, which might sound kind of harsh, but honestly, Logan took to, to ABA so well and so quickly that any of those fears that I had about like ABA ruling our lives and running our lives and overtaking were, were really calmed within like the first week or two. I can't, I'm sure it's not like that for everybody. I'm sure there's definitely families where they start ABA and it's difficult. I know I've spoken to some that have been like, you know, it's just too much. And that's fine too. If you don't feel like it's the right fit for, for you and especially for your child, you don't have to do it. I mean, just cause it's recommended, you don't have to do it. Um, but for us, it really just seemed like Logan, he, he, and he still is, he's just like a little sponge and he, he really likes to work. I think, especially for him, he's not the kind of kid, like he will definitely, he will play, but the way he plays is not like your typical kind of playing. So it's not like these, the, like the, the therapy that he does, a lot of it is sort of like incorporating kind of play into it. So for him, it was, it, it, it was just kind of fun, I think. And he made these great connections with his therapist and he really does. He enjoys working and he gets, you know, fruit snacks as a reward. So he really enjoys that. He loves fruit snacks. <laughs> so um, that's another thing that I would say if you are, you know, feeling unsure about the path and, and what's in front of you, um, just just get started and just try it. And if you don't like it, you don't have to do it. But, um, you know, you know your child best and there was definitely some times in, in like the early days of the ABA where we did have to kind of tweak sort of the schedule and just things that were going on. I've, I've mentioned before, I think in the first episode, but when we first started ABA, we were kind of doing it like just anywhere, like in the living room or the family room. And we realized pretty quickly that it was not going to work like that. We needed like kind of a separate space because... Um, we had our daughter, Liliana at the time, she was like a little toddler. I was pregnant with Layla and, um, we, we just knew that there was too many distractions for him. So once we kind of got up, we set up our, our guest room to be like the therapy room that made a huge difference because they were able to just sit down with Logan. There's a little table in there. We've got all of his programs kind of set up in there and we, that right now it's, it it was upstairs, but now it's in, in the basement. We have like a bedroom. That's our guest room down there. And we have the basement is sort of like our playroom and there's a little bathroom right there. So it's like everything they need is kind of right there because they can work in the, in the therapy room when he needs breaks, he can run out into, you know, the playroom and, and play. And he's got a little trampoline. He can sort of take his, his break and take a load off. And then obviously we're, I've said before, working on potty training. So we've got bathroom right there too. So everything works out. We bring snacks down for him. He's just set up. (laughs) So, I mean, think about it like that too. Like just because, you know, the way ABA is presented to you, if that's not working, try to figure out a way that it's going to work better for you into your life, whether it's, you know, them coming to the house or you finding a clinic, because there's all different ways to get ABA. It doesn't, for us, them coming to the house really works out because I have other kids. <laughs> um, but we are exploring, there is a, a a clinic that's associated with the the company that we use for ABA, um, a center, and we are 
exploring that more because I do like that social piece that that can kind of come with that. Um, but I think the the main thing to hold on to, whether you were in the the early days of the diagnosis or you know before you even get the diagnosis, is just being the best advocate you can for your child and just being being there for your child in whatever way that that looks like for for you guys um <clears throat> for me learning to be an advocate was something that i really didn't even know i didn't know what how i was going to do that well not that i didn't know how i was going to do it i just didn't even know what that meant i didn't really know what what that meant for me and I now I am I'm so proud to be an advocate for for Logan and for anyone with autism. I'm so happy to like, you know, shout it from the rooftops <laughs> because I I think just like putting it out there for me is so freeing. Um that's something that I think was scary before we had the diagnosis was the idea of like, well, what am I going to tell people? Like, whether they're, you know, friends or family or strangers, like, what are we going to, what are we going to say to people? Cause you don't know if you should just like put it right out there. Like, Oh, my kid has autism. Or if you should, you know, keep it to yourself, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Um, but I remember like, especially before we had the diagnosis, like Logan would act a certain way and I would, I would almost kind of like make excuses for him. Cause I didn't, I didn't know, how to handle it. Like, you know, people would try to talk to him and if he didn't have a response, I would be like, Oh, ha, ha, he's not saying anything. Or, you know, I just wouldn't really know like the best way to handle that. Um, I probably looked really silly. Um, but then now, like once we had that, the diagnosis, I, I just, you know, would firmly and happily state, you know, I tell people, I'm like, Logan has autism. So I'm like, you can talk to him. I'm like, he probably won't say much back, but please feel free to talk to him. I like when he goes to get a haircut or <laughs> anywhere where somebody, you know, might, might be talking to him. I just let them know. I'm like, here, you might not get much back from him, but by all means, like, you know, carry on because that that is, it's so important. I mean, he is, he's just a little boy. Like first and foremost, he, he's a little boy. He also happens to have autism, but that is not the most important thing about him by far. Um, so I think that's it. I'm sorry if I sound like super rambly, but like I said, this is something that I, I have, I've heard from many moms and parents now since starting the podcast. Um, it's something that keeps coming up and people, just kind of being in that sort of limbo time of either waiting for the diagnosis or just freshly getting the diagnosis and just feeling lost. And I can totally relate to that. And like I said, now it, as I'm saying all this, it might sound like, you know, oh, like we, we got it all together. We don't. <laughs> I mean, we have it together as much as we can. Um, I'm happy with the amount we have it together, but I mean, we, we definitely, we still have our struggles for sure. Um, so if you have any questions for me or comments, 
I know I'm always asking people if they want to come on the podcast. You don't have to contact me just if you want to come on the podcast. If you just want to talk to me, if you need someone to vent to, if you need someone you know, who's been through it to, who understands, like I, I am here for you. I, like I said, I have a a lot of people who I've spoken to. I'm like, Oh, you'd be a great guest. And they're like, I am kind of (laughs) nervous. Um, so you don't have to, you don't have to want to be a guest. Um, but I love connecting with everybody. That is just the, the best part of this for sure is just hearing from, hearing from people listening and knowing that, the show is resonating with you, but also just hearing your kind of day to day and what you're going through. Um, because I'm interested, I'm interested in all that too. Um, I do want to shift gears and just quickly talk about something very exciting. Um, and that is that the, the first basketball player, uh, NCAA, I know nothing about sports and basketball. So if I butcher this, I'm sorry, but the first basketball player with autism to get a scholarship to a division, division one school, um, this, this just happened. His name is Kalen Bennett. And this happened literally yesterday was when I first, I saw the link to this. First, my husband tagged me in it on Facebook. And then um, Ava, who was on the podcast, tagged me in it. And um, I I just can't even put into words how happy this makes me. I'm probably going to cry. I don't want to cry about this, but I might. Um, so this this kid, he was diagnosed with autism as, I think they said it, he was two. He didn't he didn't walk till he was four years old. He didn't talk until he was seven. He didn't say a word until he was seven. He wasn't able to have a conversation until he was eight. Um, this kid is got a scholarship, a basketball scholarship to a division one school. I just like that. That is so inspiring to me and so incredible. And I watched this video of him talking about how he wants to, you know, inspire kids on the spectrum and be an advocate for autism. And he, every, everything he was saying, I mean, I was, I was just in tears listening to him because it was so moving and so incredible. He said one of the reasons why he picked the school that he did, which is Kent, Kent State, uh, is because they are very committed to autism awareness. So he wanted to, you know, kind of have that partnership with them. Uh, which I also think is incredible that Kent State is committed to autism awareness. Shout out to them. Um, but the whole story is is just so inspiring because, again, especially if you are in that time of the early diagnosis or waiting for the diagnosis, seeing something like this to me is like so inspiring because it it does not matter that your child has autism. It does not matter that is still your baby. They are still incredible. They are still, they still have every, every chance to have amazing, extraordinary things happen for them in their life. Um, and if, if this kid, Kaylin Bennett, isn't proof of that, then I don't know what is. (laughs) Um, I was talking to my husband about it and I remember last year also there was, um, the first like professional baseball player was recruited, I don't remember what team he's on. I want to say like the Angels, the Los Angeles. I, I'm going to butcher that. I'm not even going to try. But I mean that too. Like there, there is people out there with autism who are 
doing incredible things and things that like Kaylin, Kaylin Bennett said that the, the doctor that diagnosed him said that he would probably, he wouldn't ever walk or talk. This kid, <laughs> not only does he walk, he is playing basketball so well that he got a scholarship. Um, so don't, don't ever let anyone tell you anything about your child that, you know, they're, they're not going to do something because that person does not know. And that is not up to them. So you just got to keep on keeping on and fighting that good fight. (laughs) Um, Okay. I think that's really all I had to say. I think I've rambled enough for this episode. Um, So I hope you enjoyed listening to this. I have so many great guests coming up in the upcoming weeks. I've recorded many episodes that are ready to go and so many awesome, awesome people that I've gotten to talk to. So I can't wait for you guys to hear all that. Um, again, if you want to connect with me, whether you want to be on the show and share your story, or if you just want to chat, <laughs> uh, you can email me at adventures and autism 2018, um, at yahoo.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at adventures and autism podcast, or on Instagram at Adventures in Autism Pod. Um, I'd be happy to connect with you on any one of those platforms. Um, but again, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much for uh, all the love the show is getting. Uh, if you want to share, tell a friend, uh, rate and review, that really helps with <laughs> podcast. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much for all the support. All right, guys. Until next time, take care.